Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 69 for December 7th, 2006, Internet Anonymity Part 1. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Dell. For this week's specials, visit twit.tv slash Dell. Well, after that marathon edition last week of Security Now, a whole, what was it, almost an hour and a half, it actually was more than that. It, it was, was 97 more, minutes. I'm exhausted. But, you and, know, and, uh, I should say, Steve Gibson is here, and uh, he's our security guru. And uh, people loved it. They really did. I got some positive feedback in our Security Now news group at GRC from people saying, I mean, I had one comment. Someone said they thought it might have been the best Security Now ever. Wow. And, uh, and they, they liked the fact that we took our time. We thoroughly covered the topics. I think more by coincidence than anything else we had a really good selection of questions you know they they were complimenting me on the questions but it's like well okay i i you know i didn't really do anything different this time than i have before i just read through a bunch of questions and found good ones but you know i guess we just hit the sweet spot somehow i I like the q a's because of the variety you know it's not just one topic and it and it and it's uh often the questions and i think this was the case last time are ones that i myself go hmm i wonder and so it's good. You know, that's why I do a call-in talk shows and call-in TV shows, because I think people ask the questions. Sometimes we, as experts, don't always ask the right questions. We know too much, maybe. Yep. Well, and of course, doing that really keeps you on your toes, too. Oh, yeah. Because, you know? I mean, I'm, <laughs> oh, as, yeah. as, I listen, as I listen to you on KFI, I'm thinking, my God, this guy knows so much. I mean, <laughs> well, no, really, I the, the, well. <laughs> the, the breadth of your knowledge is phenomenal. Well, and that, it is. It's good training for that. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm probably leaving that KFI show at the end of the month because uh, I just, I, I've been working seven days a week for three years and. It's finally taken its toll. Your, my, my hair is fa- falling out. <laughs> my hair. Your, your, your family's forgot. Well, I think that the, family? The, the, the family. The birthday you may have recently had might be responsible yeah. for some of that hair loss too. Yeah. And it's hard to choose any one of the of the many projects I have to uh, let go. But but because the radio show consumes both Saturday and Sunday, it really eats my weekends. Um, I think that's probably the one that that's going to go. So. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, and and that's the thing. You know what? That's the thing that it will it will suffer is. That forced training every week uh, on on you know twenty or thirty topics is great. I mean, I, it keeps my mind going. Right. If I, if I seem dumber next uh, next year, you'll you'll know why. <laughs> so this week we're going to talk about something I think it's very important: uh, internet anonymity. Yeah, there's been a lot of interest from from people posting on the, uh, their own questions on the Security Now page at GRC. For example, people wanted, want to have a presentation about uh, this network called TOR, which stands for the Onion Router, which is an anonymity-enhancing network. And so, uh, so I've, I've begun to do a lot of research onto the specifics of that so we could talk about it. But in getting involved in this, I realized that 
Now, there's a social issue. I mean, there's like a moral and ethical issue that sort of comes up when you talk about, I mean, and well, when you talk about any powerful technology and and the internet and the anonymity that it that it provides is a powerful technology you know i mean famously einstein was very concerned about the uses to which his his um contribution to the development of the atom bomb would be put and i think as i remember later in life he became really sort of a peace nut really worried that that this armament he he had created was you know was so powerful and so potentially susceptible to misuse and abuse that that he he par- partially regretted his role in that well it's always you know a mixed bag um i think if you accept the notion that there is there are times when anonymity is important you know if you're a whistleblower if you are in a, in a repressive uh, regime and you need to fight against it. There are lots of reasons that anonymity would be important. Uh, you know, I've well, had this conversation with Phil Zimmerman, the guy who created PGP, and right. and that's what he says. He says, you know, you, 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 unfortunately, you don't get to choose. You either, you either have allow anonymity or not. And, uh, and there are pluses and minuses to both, I guess. Well, I mean, for example, you, it's certainly arguable that you cannot have free speech without anonymity because because people will will simply be they will be less yeah intimidate exactly and less willing to to speak freely if they know that there are consequences to what they could say i mean i have to say leo i'm i have been self-conscious sending some political email you know, like in post nine eleven, knowing that that the United States government has right. become much more aggressive about you know scanning email. I mean, I when I use hot terms and keywords and things, I find myself thinking. I mean, literally, my behavior is modified because I don't want a false positive. I mean, I'm I'm no terrorist. I'm a a, a, a patriot and all that. But still, it's just like. You know, you just get a little twitchy when you think that, you know, what what you're saying could be triggering some automated system somewhere. That's why I use PGP. One of these days we're going to get you get you using it because that's the point. But but it also raises the specter of terrorists themselves using encryption. Well, yes. And in fact, you know, um, uh, uh, sort of on the issue of the benefit of it, you know, GRC maintains news groups, and we don't require anyone to authenticate themselves in any way. So, you know, most of the people there use handles, you know, typical Internet handles, some random, you know, combination of words and letters and things that identify them. And that's the only way they're identified. Now, we implemented the technology to essentially... Uh, create a hash of their their login, which is not in any way associated to their name or any other information, but it's a unique token which cannot be spoofed. And so the idea is that that posters at GRC have a handle which is anonymous, but they also have a a tag which every posting they make is is stamped with that tag which is just i mean it's it's literally it is a, it's the result of, of a cryptographic hash and what it means is that nobody is able to impersonate right. somebody else 
even though everyone is able to to remain anonymous. And and actually, the the other cool thing is that this allows people to securely delete their own postings if something happens and they regret what they posted. Mm. They were you know upset at the time. You know, it's been a, a traditional problem with news groups is that you either could not delete or you or, or or anyone could delete in which case you have you know specious deleters who are deleting other people's postings so we didn't want that but we also wanted people to be able to you know amend their own postings and so this allows them to do that but the point is that i'm i'm really an advocate of of allowing people to be anonymous if that's what they want because i think it gets the truth i, I mean i i really think people feel much more free to say what they really think if they're anonymous. Right. Now, even in my own little microcosm, speaking of, about this just for a minute, I mean, there has been a downside to that. Back when I was being very vocal about raw sockets on Windows XP, you know, and created a huge furor in the industry, the news groups drew a lot of attention from what you could only call trolls. I mean, people who were who were trolling awful. the group who yeah. I mean yeah. it, it was really awful now I refused to delete those postings I mean I have I mean it's my server my bandwidth my storage you know and and people there were saying Steve how why are you allowing these people to badmouth you like this and just leave this content on the server and my feeling was well that's their opinion and you know who am I to say that they don't have as much right to post something negative about, you know, Steve Gibson and GRC as somebody else has to post something positive. Right. I mean, right. it. I ended up being vindicated in that issue with Microsoft, of course, and Raw Sockets, which are now removed um, from XP after Service Pack 2. But, I mean, it was a rough time. And, I mean, it, it was about me sticking to the principle that that, you know, people could post whatever they wanted to and – and you know, and do so anonymously. Arguably, if these people had to be identified, then they would probably not have posted that way. I mean, one of the things that that we see on the internet is much more outrageous behavior than you normally see in the physical world, where people are inherently more accountable for their actions. Oh yeah, Buggy Bear twenty nine thirty seven is very easily annoyed. And lets right. us all know it. I'm making that up, of course, but oh, of course. But that's the real problem: is that uh, it, it doesn't feel like a face to face. You are somewhat anonymous, and you know, and, and on on sites where people uh, use real names, you don't see that kind of problem, right? So right. It, and, and I, it's just tough because I mean, there are pros and cons to both sides. Well, I have to say too that that if somebody uses an anonymous handle over time. And we have the ability to prevent that from being spoofed, as we do. What what you, what ends up developing over time is a trust in that person. I That's mean, true. that is That's in true. that in that anonymous handle. That is, you will. I'll never know who many of the valued contributors on our news groups are. But, but they are have identity. Who, They've built an identity, even though it doesn't match their real name. Exactly. That, that you know now, and that's the why. And, and maybe this is the answer. That's why a lot of message boards have an ignore feature. So if conversely somebody proves their identity to be a complete butthead, you just press the ignore button and you don't see their stuff anymore. Maybe that's the kind of solution we need. Instead of saying no, you've got to use your real name, we need maybe do do it some other way, more innovatively. Well, and of course, in 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 the press, 
there's this whole notion, well, and, and even in law enforcement, there's this notion of an anonymous informant. I mean, you know, the, the, the famous deep throat who was, right. who was, right. who was per, 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 per participating in the, the whole Watergate issue and, and informing Bob Woodward of, of what was going on. I mean, this was a person who, over time, built up a relationship with this person in the press and so, you know, and, and the same thing, of course, happens in law enforcement where somebody will have a confidential informant that is that has over time has proven their integrity, may always need for whatever reason to remain anonymous, but feels that by providing certain information, more more better is being done than harm. And, you know, that's sort of the way, you know, that decision gets made. So. The, you know the the other thing that's interesting is there's for example there's there's a network called freenet which is is really a, a perfect example of very powerful technology where you're taking the the good with the bad freenet allows the the creation of of private encrypted networks for storage of content now then that and that's something very different for example than other anonymizing services like you know the famous anonymizer.com that's right. been around for a decade they will allow you to anonymously acquire information that is for example anonymously surfing the internet so that you go to sites and th- th- they have no idea who you are now as we're going to discuss next week it turns out that unless this is done with much more greater care than most people assume the the, the that level of anonymity can be penetrated. So it turns out that really true anonymity on the net is much harder to get than than is normally believed. But but Freenet is a different uh, a different approach. They're you know very pro anonymity, pro privacy, pro free speech. So their system basically allocates a chunk of hard drive space from everyone participating in the network and and the the content of freenet is encrypted and stored in this big distributed database made up of all these different computers well it's valuable certainly for people to be able to post and share their own content whereas for example with as as i said with anonymizer you're only browsing websites and and they specifically don't allow you to create content in freenet you can but i mean it does mean that as a participant in this network you have no idea how your hard drive is being used i mean it it could literally be you know sure it could be uplifting free speech articles about you know what's really going on with a government or 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 actions somewhere in the world but it at the same time it could be you know really distasteful you know, uh, child pornography or something. I mean, and, and the point is, you are enabling that to be stored on your computer by availing yourself of this system. So, you know, I mean, it's a real mixed bag. And you know, the other issue is one of copyright. Um, and it's really how, it's it's interesting how copyright comes into this because the enforcement of copyright, that is, the actual enforcement of it requires monitoring communications you know that's how copyright is enforced is through monitoring communication but but free speech 
as we've said, cannot be guaranteed in an, in, in an environment where there is monitored communications. So, you know, just logically, that, that, that demonstrates that you cannot simultaneously have both freedom of speech and the enforcement of copyright. Hmm. Because, because <laughs> you're right. QED, right? QED. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, you know, many people have said, well, what if like Freenet is used for sharing of copyrighted movies and files and, and, and music and content? And it's like, well, yes, you know, that's a violation of copyright law. And so it's against the law for the system to be used in that way. But a system which robustly enforces freedom of speech, and we've already seen that freedom of speech requires anonymity, uh, otherwise speech is really not unencumbered and not free, so you're going to have anonymity, and, and inherently that means that the anonymity creates free speech, and free speech means that copyright cannot be enforced. Yep. So, so, you know, I mean, so... I guess the real point I wanted to make was that was that that we're talking about potentially very powerful technologies which can be abused. I mean, as you were saying earlier, Leo, there is, for example, an issue with terrorists using networks like this to securely communicate among themselves. I mean. It's absolutely possible. Right. I mean, that's the same. Of course, when you're uh, just encrypting the email, you can still tell who's sending a message to whom, right? So, for example, with with PGP, there is the knowledge that we've got endpoints that are communicating. And one of the differences with a system like Freenet, which is a rich network of interconnected systems, which are encrypted, is that there isn't any way to demonstrate a a, a point-to-point connection data can be deposited in this distributed shared database and it can be retrieved so if the, i use pgp to encrypt email to you everybody knows who's snooping on us anyway that you and i are having a conversation if exactly. i were to do it over freenet nobody know who i was talking to exactly and in fact freenet it, 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 i think it's currently at 0.7 is the current release they have just added some some technology to allow uh, standard internet style bulletin board communications where people are able to have you know threaded discussions with complete assured anonymity and an inherent database which is what any wow. kind of a discussion board requires and an absolute encryption and no ability to trace who sees what do you want to talk a little bit about how freenet works um, I'm going to get into the technology of this stuff next week because okay. it, it is complicated. And I mean, because it, it turns out that, you know, for example, um, uh, anonymizer that is is basically a, a, essentially just a proxy. Anonymizer is is ha- well, a- any simple anonymizing proxy has the problem that that if communications is monitored upstream and downstream of it, that is on either side of it, it's possible to associate the traffic pattern coming and going and determine the IP of someone visiting a given website. And that's something that people don't typically appreciate. Right. The, the, you know, the, the idea being that you know, packet sizes vary, packet timing varies. And so if somebody 
for example, the government had the ability of monitoring the, the, the network traffic to and from Anonymizer, they would be able to see packets coming in to Anonymizer and leaving and basically, basically penetrate that anonymizing proxy effect because the traffic would allow them to associate connections through the proxy and basically punch a hole in, in the entire thing. So, so it turns out that, that obtaining you know, this level of real anonymity is substantially more difficult than mm-hmm. most people assume. It's just not a matter of, of running through a proxy which is going to reissue your HTTP communications from its IP rather than from, from yours. In fact, the Tor project says, um, it says Tor only minimally hides such correlations between oh. incoming and outgoing traffic. Interesting. It says even Tor, which is a multi-hop, you know, you know, multi-layered system. It says an attacker watching patterns of traffic at the initiator and at the responder will be able to confirm the correspondence with high probability. The correspondence so, between you and me, let's say. Well, yes. For example, if, if if we were connecting through there, but normally Tor is used, for example, for anonymous, for like robust anonymous surfing. Uh-huh. It turns out, though, that it is not that robust. It ain't so anonymous they, either, apparently. <laughs> well, and, exactly. And well, and 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 that's the problem is they had to, and they deliberately. I mean, they understand the problem. The only way to to really enhance this is to introduce much greater latency. That is for the routers in the Tor network to hold the packets for a long period of time and then release them. Well, now this is the kind of thing that that you could do, for example, if, if you wanted to anonymously download files where where you're not trying to do real time activities, but things like VoIP obviously require real time responses. And, you know, to practically surf the web, to, to go from website to website, clicking on links and downloading content, you, there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of real-time interaction between your browser and the remote server as all of the various components of a web page are assembled. So, so this, this notion of real-time anonymity turns out to be specious. It is, it is almost impossible to get that. One way you can is if the anonymizer also is a big cache, because if it's caching, then many of the things you need, the assets and resources, and even the pages you go to, may already be in the cache. So, you know, for example, people who use Google are probably aware that sometimes you'll click on a link in Google, and that is a link that the Google has returned as a result of a search. And, you know, the site will be down or offline or really slow, and you go, okay. So you hit stop on your browser, and instead you use Google's cached copy. So in that, in that scenario, you're never making your request outside of Google. It's going to Google, and you're, 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 we're taking advantage of Google's massive cache of the entire Internet in order to prevent actually going out to that server and getting the content. So, so there's an example where, where no one could de- could detect if they weren't looking inside Google. No one could detect from the outside over, for example, an HTTPS that is a, a, an SSL secured connection to Google's cache, 
what it was you were looking at because Google would be the central repository of all these external sites. But, but that's, that's exactly analogous to what Freenet does because Freenet creates this encrypted, secured database of discussion groups of, uh, and, and massive amounts of content which is completely opaque from the outside, and due to the way it's set up, no one is able to determine what it is you're putting into this database and what it is you're pulling out. So uh, we we don't want to get into details on how this works. Uh, I want to do that next week because it's really interesting what the Tor guys did in order to create, you know, really robust security with their network. So there's Freenet, there's Tor... Uh, and then, of course, there's local encryption, which doesn't eliminate uh, the, the the locale of where it's coming from or where it's going, but at least encrypts the content, like PGP or uh, the new Privacy Guard GPG, which I use. Right, but but uh, and and I guess I, I'm glad you brought that up because the point is, what's significant about that is that it's not anonymous. Right. In the, the, content, in the sense that you know who it is. Yes. Right. Exactly. the The content may be opaque and securely encrypted, but there's no anonymity provided by the people who are communicating at right. the endpoints. Right. And and very often that's something that people really need or want for for various purposes. And again, the, the problem is there are many, many, many good reasons and beneficial reasons for having and enforcing and, and allowing an, uh, anonymity on the net. The flip side is as with any really powerful technology, it can used it can be used for nefarious purposes as well. There were for many years, and I don't I don't know if they're still around. Anonymous remailers, where uh, you would use a kind of similar to a Tor or uh, anonymizer, you'd use multi proxies, and uh, and uh, it would eventually hide who they sent the email and and where it was going. Unfortunately, I have to say, uh, at least some of these have been subpoenaed by governmental agencies. And uh, I guess it wasn't hidden enough. Um, in fact, yes. In fact, um, there, 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 there was a case there, something called the Java Anonymous Proxy Project, uh, wh- which spreads anonymous proxies around the globe. It turns out that, that the, the, um, the state of Germany did not want these anonymous proxies functioning within their domain uh, literally, I mean, their dominion, and and generated um, legal action against these anonymizers. They 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 legally required that a backdoor be mm-hmm. installed mm-hmm. in order for them to have access to what was going on. I mean, it this kind of anonymity makes governments very uncomfortable. And others like the Church of Scientology who mm-hmm. compromised the Pennant uh, mailer. Well, it's a fascinating subject, and uh, we've just started, basically, uh, as you have in the past, with kind of a roundup of the high-level high issues. Uh, we'll talk about the technologies in the next episode. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, you know, we, we, we could have ignored the whole question of the value and benefit and importance and responsibility that comes with anonymity on, on, on the Internet, because it's very significant, because yeah. the Internet is such a powerful opportunity for giving people the freedom of speech and freedom of anonymity but with that comes you know some responsibility and and there's a dark side which right. i just i didn't want to not you talk can't ignore about it that. Uh, although I, I i am certainly a believer in ultimately in free speech and uh yes and i think you've got to you've got to do it despite the negatives the downside the the alternative 
uh, of completely no anonymity at all of is is just is far worse. I'm sorry. Well, and it see, I mean, it seems to be. I don't mean to impose you know uh, democratic politics on the world certainly with you know, a the, lowercase the, d by the way not a, not uppercase d when you say right democratic. exactly <laughs> lowercase d right i mean you know certainly the rulers of china have a different philosophy about the, the the way they think a state should operate but but to the degree that that a a democracy is a valuable thing for people to have we understand that that requires that that the that the, um, the 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 citizens of the democracy be informed of what the government is doing, and that there be good communications in order for this the, this state to be managed. And you know, governments have historically fought that kind of really good communication. Governments would like to have more control, and it's it's the lack of control that makes the system work. You know, in the long term. Steve, uh, we've we, as usual. Uh, sometimes technology verges on politics, and this is a case where it does. And I think you've done a great job of synopsizing both sides. Next week, the ins and outs, the technology behind Freenet, and uh, well, and why why anonymity, why and exactly how technically obtaining real anonymity is a much more difficult thing to do on the net than most people are aware. It's hard to do. Thank you, Steve Gibson. Of course, uh, we want to remind everybody that Steve's site is the home not only to this podcast, grc.com, and the 16-kilobit versions and the transcripts, but also to SpinWrite, which is his daily bread. And, uh, you know, if you ever have trouble with your hard drive, there's no question at all, SpinWrite is a must. It's in my kit when I go around and work on people's computers. It's one of the first programs I'll run. Uh, It's the ultimate disk recovery and maintenance utility, and it's highly recommended. I got a neat piece of mail from someone who who recently purchased a, a Dell Latitude notebook. He said, "I purchased a brand new Dell Latitude notebook a couple of weeks ago and was very happy with the Core Duo gig of RAM machine." He said, <coughs> "Excuse me." He said it started to boot very slowly hmm. and programs would crash every so often. So I ran Spinrite and what do you know? It started finding problems about halfway through the scan. Ah. So I emailed Dell and told them that SpinWrite was used on the drive and that I would require a new one. With no questions asked, (laughs) they sent out a brand new hard drive the next day with prepaid return shipping. That's great. That's great. He said said, the respect from Dell to the SpinWrite product was phenomenal. They didn't even want me to run any other software to confirm the diagnosis. They knew. He said, thanks, Steve. You saved a brand new Dell from an untimely death. Isn't that great? That was really neat. And, of course, you know, Dell can't control what, you know, how the, the UPS driver may have been drop kicking this guy's poor laptop. Well, don't even from, blame from, UPS. From, Sometimes the hard drives just come out of the factory bad. I mean, that's they, not Exactly. It, 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 it could pass initial tests and just right. have an infant mortality problem. Right. But, but, but you know, this guy ran Spinrite. It confirmed a problem, and the Dell said, okay, that's all we need to know. <laughs> I love it. That's kind of a joint plug, really, for Spinrite and our sponsor. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> very, very nicely done. True story. <laughs> I did. I actually just bought a, a Dell uh, laptop, an L- M12. 1210, um, which is a dual core two with two gigs of RAM. I reloaded this sucker up. Actually, I was amazed because uh, the price for really uh, absolute top of the line laptop was about two thousand dollars, and yeah. that's so much less than it used to be. In fact, we used to say the computer you want is always at least twenty five hundred bucks, 
right. and and the and the dream computer is like three or four thousand dollars. It was always a moving target. Yeah, um, core two dual two gigahertz processors, two gigs of RAM. I got a seventy two hundred RPM hard drive because I wanted to. I, I, this is my going to be my Vista machine, so I really wanted to right. trick it out, um, knowing that Vista is going to be demanding. They don't have har- hybrid hard drives yet, unfortunately, but. Uh, everything else, I, I just loaded that sucker up. And I was very pleased. If you want a link to that or to other Leo's picks, including the XPS that we bought for Call for Help, that you'll find at twit.tv slash Dell. That's the Leo's Picks page. Dell does provide us with financial support for this podcast and a number of the other Twit podcasts. They've been a, a really great sponsor. In fact, I think uh, our contract runs out in the next couple of weeks, and I'm hoping that we can get them to come back. Uh, but I, I do appreciate their support and your support, too. When you buy a, a, any Dell product by going through one of the links on the twit.tv slash Dell page, uh, we get credit for it. Uh, so thanks to Dell for their support. Um, oh, also want to mention Astaro because they are, are have been here since practically day one. I can't remember exactly what episode they joined us on, but early on, they've been big supporters of the show. And they were our first sponsor. They were our first sponsor. They were, they were the first sponsor on the Twit Network. Yeah. And they've decided to come back for another year. And that's, we love them. <laughs> and there's good reason. It's an open source, high quality security gateway. Uh, if you have a small or medium business and you need superior protection from spam, from viruses, from hackers, you get a complete VPN, intrusion protection, content filtering, and of course, an industry strength firewall, all in a very easy to use high performance appliance. I've got one and I just love it. It's the Astaro Security Gateway. Contact them. They'll give you a free trial www.astaro.com or call 877 the number 4 ASTARO you can schedule a free trial and home users non-business users can download the software version of ASG free for home use also astaro.com thanks to them so next week is talking about the technical challenges of okay. internet anonymity i did mention last week that i would have a new piece of of security yes. oriented freeware to announce Unfortunately, we're recording this and next episode early. Yeah. Yes, and I've gotten myself tangled up in some some tricky details with it. Uh, it's going to end up being, I think, even cooler and more valuable than I than I originally expected. But it's also turning out to be a lot more challenging. So so I'm gonna de- I'm gonna delay the announcement until I actually have the thing running and bulletproof and tested. So it'll be a couple of weeks, and then we'll talk about what that is. No problem at all. You're in heaven, though, aren't you? When you get to code on a new project. Oh, finally, Leo. I'm back to writing some code. Does I that make it. you feel good? That's neat. I can tell. Are you writing this in assembler? Yeah, of course. Oh, Steve. <laughs> yep. You're so old fashioned. That's my language. <laughs> I well, love and it. it turns out, I mean, it turns out that it's exactly the right language for this application because I'm dealing with. You know, down in the registers of Intel processors. Oh, interesting. You know, and you know, dealing with literally setting bits on and off, and oh, you need it. and and, pr- and protected mode and privilege instructions and all that kind of stuff. So, will this work uh, on Vista as well as XP? Yep. Really? Yep. And I and how I've do you know say that? that? I mean, are you did you test it in Vista? Yeah, I've got oh. it running on Vista. In oh. fact, um, I have a, a a new MacBook with the Intel uh, the Intel Core Two Duo. Because I needed some some more recent chips in order right. to, to 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 see it r- r- running there. And Leo, I got to tell you, I'm I'm going to disabuse you of this notion that Vista requires a lot of power. I mean, I, I'm I am really happily running it on my little HP TC1100 wow. notebook. I mean, my 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 that my thing is low ta- power. Little... That's the old tablet. Yeah, that's not yeah. very fancy. I mean, well, now a... the the the, the one right. 
the one yes the 1000 was a transmeta and they realized whoops that Ooh, was a mistake yeah. and so they went to the 1100 which is a pentium m i think it's 1.2 gigahertz or something but i mean it is it is completely usable that's good news and and i'm i mean i'll tell you i don't have the the uh I got. I'm never going to remember the name of this in this UI. The gl- glass, <laughs> arrow is gl- glass, arrow glass. I don't have that. You but don't need I, that. I, I really don't need it. And Leo, there, there are so many little touches that there is now like stroke recognition on the tablet. So you're able oh. to like scroll. You're able to scroll the, the uh, a, a browser page just by stroking up or down. You're able nice. to copy, paste, cut, and delete. Uh, you using um, uh, stylus strokes. Anyway, I'm. I'm seriously considering maybe just skipping over XP and and going to Vista because I mean I oh, I really think, I think you should. this is you know you and Paul were 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 talking on on Windows Weekly on Friday saying that you know in his opinion because he's of course been really exposed to it he thinks it's like Microsoft really got it right. And, I'm excited here, about it. I'm totally he, excited about it. Yeah, and and here I am saying you know Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Oh, right, don't right. touch it for a couple years, blah blah blah. It's like well. Um, it there's a lot to like about it. In fact, I have to say on this M1210, it's running XP because I haven't yet got my MSDN subscription, and it, and it's, I don't. It's like I don't even want to try it. I don't. I know XP. I'm not interested. I want Vista. I want Vista. And I'm sure everybody else is saying the same thing. So, um, all right. Well, uh, we're just going to say goodbye and see you next week. And uh, thank you, Steve. I don't. All right. And we'll see you all back here, same time, same place, for security now. Security now.